Good evening. My name is uh, David Lyons. I'm one of the members of staff uh, here at St. Mungo's, and it's just a huge privilege to be able to uh, stand up here and just uh, chat with you a little bit uh, about Christmas and what Christmas means. For some of us, Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year. That's why I'm not up there. Uh, next year, Fee, if you need anyone. Uh, but research does show uh, that for some of us, Christmas is really hard, whether we maybe struggle with the pressure to have the perfect Christmas. Or Christmas reminds us of hopes and dreams which have been left unfulfilled for another year. Or despite the fact that we're surrounded more than ever by friends and families, it can feel lonelier than at any other point in the year. As our senses are bombarded with the sights, the sounds, the smells, the tastes of Christmas, and we juggle with the magic, the stress, and the hype of it all, it's really easy to miss the main point. The theologian Carl Rayner says the following about Christmas. He said, Christmas signifies the divine breaking into human history, a divine intrusion which brings light to dispel the darkness and hope to overcome despair. Christmas, you see, is the hinge point in human history because it's the moment when God kept his promises to humanity. We make promises all the time, don't we? But few of us can say that we fulfill every single one, even if they relate to someone or about someone who we genuinely love and really care about. So a few months ago, my youngest daughter, Poppy, uh, was in hospital for a small operation, and part of her pre-op meant that she needed to take 10 mils of ibuprofen. Now, I should point out this was uh, the hospital brand of ibuprofen as opposed to the nice stuff. So I knew this was going to be quite a big struggle for her. Soph was away chatting and getting, uh, finding out from the nurses what was going to happen. So I took it upon myself to begin the negotiations. <laughs> Poppy, if you take this medicine, I'll get a chocolate for you straight after. Nope. Poppy, if you take this medicine, I'll buy you a magazine. No. Poppy, if you take this medicine, I'll let you choose a gift up to the value of 10 pounds from Amazon. No. Okay, Poppy, if you take the medicine, I'll take you to McDonald's on the way home. No. So the fact that McDonald's on the way home had failed let me know this was quite a serious situation we were faced with. So I decided I was going to have to go big. I said, Poppy, if you take your medicine, I'll take you to get your ears pierced. <laughs> I could feel the horror, the disbelief, and the anger being directed at me from Soph. And so I did the safest thing possible in that moment and just didn't look at her. Instead, <laughs> locked eyes on Poppy and focused on the grin which was spreading across her face and that little glint of delight in her eye. I said, do you promise? I said, yes. I was totally locked in. I was like, yes, I promise. It's fair to say that Soph was not overly happy about this promise. I, however, was relieved because the only other things I could think about was tattoo or buy a motorbike. So I was glad, <laughs> I was glad she went with ears pierced. I love Poppy, and I want to keep my promises to her. But I have to say that at this moment in time, she still remains uh, son's earrings. Um, you see, people make promises all the time, and people break promises all the time. 
But Christmas reminds us that God's different because he's a God who keeps his promises to us. And there's just three from the readings that we heard earlier, which I wanted to pick out. So the first is that God will be with us. Isaiah 7.14 says, She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. This promise, spoken of centuries before the Christmas story, speaks of a concept which was utterly unique and outrageous. It promises of God being with humanity in a unique and intimate way. In some of the later readings, we hear about Mary who gave birth to a child named Jesus. And he grew up to live this incredible, extraordinary life. He went around teaching and healing the sick and caring for the poor. He honored women, spent time with the outcasts. But crucially to this promise, he claimed to be God. There's four books in the Bible at the start of the New Testament. They're called the Gospels. And they're the eyewitness accounts of what happened during the life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And they record that during his ministry, he claimed frequently to be the unique Son of God come to be with his people. The author of the Narnia book, C.S. Lewis, having read the accounts of Jesus' life in the Gospels, came to the conclusion that Jesus was and is God. He wrote, it seems obvious that he, Jesus, was neither a lunatic nor a fiend, and consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. When speaking to his disciples in his life, Jesus re-emphasized this promise. He said, and be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. And he kept this promise by sending his Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, to come and live in the heart of everyone who believes in him. A recent study showed that loneliness has the same impact on our physical health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. And in a world where it's easy to feel alone, it's easy to feel isolated, and I have a lack of connection, you can take comfort, discover hope, and receive assurance that you're not alone because God has kept his promise. He is uh, Emmanuel, God with us. The second promise is from uh, the promise of peace, that he will be the source of peace. And we read that in Micah 5. It said, Then his people will live there undisturbed, for he will be highly honored around the world, and he will be the source of peace. We live in a world that is searching for peace, but often in too big of a hurry, going nowhere to find any. There's apps and settings on devices which help us with our mental well-being, help us to try and find peace. For example, at 11 o'clock every night, my phone screen turns black and white and goes into bedtime mode for about three seconds until I switch it off. I also have a smartwatch, which I hardly ever wear, uh, and it tells me when I'm stressed and I need to do a breathing exercise uh, and slow my heart rate down. And I'll be honest with you, I don't often feel very stressed. I'm quite a laid-back sort of a person. So I either think my watch is broken or I'm so unfit that my heart rate is so high all of the time. It's like, calm down, calm down, I'm calm. But I'm also acutely aware that as we meet here today, there's millions of people around the world who are living in desperate situations caused by humanity's desire for control, for power, and for status. 
there's very little peace in our world. And hearing this constant state of unrest in the news, through social media, through conversations with others, it only adds more worry to our already anxious minds. So if God's kept his promise to be the source of peace, then this is good news for a restless and anxious world. And he's kept his promise by satisfying our desire for inner peace. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says, the peace he offers to his followers. He says, I'm leaving you with a gift. Peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift that the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. And that peace flows out of assurance that comes from being in relationship with Jesus. It means we don't need to worry or be anxious about tomorrow because whatever we face, we do it with Emmanuel, God with us. He does it, he kept his promise by encouraging peace among his people because relationships are wonderful. They're an important part of what it means to be human. We're created for relationship with one another. And this baby, born in Bethlehem, grew up and taught the world that life's all about relationships. Relationships with God and relationship with one another. And his teaching about the way that we relate to each other was radically different than anything that had gone before, anything that has come since. And his life demonstrated his teaching. He said we're to love God and we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. But not just any old neighbor, the neighbors that we like. He said we're to love our enemies. Our culture, it encourages us to hate those who think differently from the way we do. But Jesus says, no, love them. You see, despite what we're led to believe, it's possible to profoundly disagree with someone and yet love them really well. If all the people across the world lived in this way, then the world would be quite different. It's easy to say, but it's impossible to do without the primary way which God has kept his promise to be the source of peace, which is by creating a way for us to have peace with God. You see, humanity was separated from God due to sin. That's just a word that means those times when we fall short in what it means to be human, which is to love God and to love others. It's the times when we make work or family or hobbies or ourselves God. We're committed more to seeing those things uh, thrive to put our trust in those things, to seek to further these things at the expense of God or the expense of other people. And all those things cause rejection and pain and suffering. I know that sin is a really old-fashioned word, and it's one that our culture doesn't really like all that much. But I think, I think it makes sense. Because I think it gives a reasonable and a logical explanation for why we experience and see what we do in the world around us. In fact, it's the explanation of sin that help, makes me think that it's the really releasing thing about Christianity because it says essentially, you know, we're all in the same boat. We all mess up, and those messes that we make have consequences. Sure, some people mess up in bigger and more significant ways and cause more unimaginable damage and suffering and harm. But if we're honest, we all get things wrong and we hurt people, and that hurt has got a consequence. So everyone makes mistakes, everyone falls short of what it means to be human, or as the Bible put it, everyone sins. And it's got a cost, which is separation from God. And no matter how hard we try, no matter what we do, now how, how good we are, how much we pray, how many rules we follow, we can't do anything about it. But this man, Jesus, has reconciled 
humanity with God. His death on the cross brought peace to that relationship, and it's a gift of undeserved grace. And that leads us perfectly to promise number three, which is that God will save us from our sins. We read, we read earlier, the angel who appeared to Joseph said, and she will have a son, and you're to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. When giving a televised Christmas address, the American preacher Billy Graham said this about Christmas. He said, there's a lot of emphasis on Jesus being born, but Jesus didn't come to be born. He came to die. From the moment he was born, Jesus came to die. See, God came into the world as the person of Jesus to die for us. That just means instead of us. On the cross, he was effectively saying, I'll take upon myself all those things which have created a barrier between God and humanity. And it's through this act that we have complete forgiveness of our sins. And he did it for you, and he did it for me. And if you'd been the only person in the entire world, he would still have done it. But he didn't stay dead. On the third day, he rose again, conquering sin and death, and made it possible that anyone who places their trust in Jesus shall not die but have eternal life. You see, Jesus' birth at Christmas, it marks the beginning of God fulfilling that promise to save us from our sins. So this year, amidst the distractions and the chaos of the festive season, take time to wonder how the significance of Christmas is found through the promises of God. The promise of God's presence, encapsulated in his name, Emmanuel, which means God with us. It declares that God chose to dwell amongst his people, and he sent his Holy Spirit to live in the heart of everyone who places their trust in him. So the profound reality is that how we never need to be alone, because he's Emmanuel, God with us. It's the promise of peace, particularly poignant in a world which is marked by division and anxiety. Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and he offers a peace which satisfies the deepest longings of our hearts. It's a peace which empowers reconciliation, and most crucially, it brings us peace with God. And finally, the promise of salvation from sin. It reveals the redemptive purpose of Christmas. Jesus came not merely to be born, but to die for us, for you and for me. The theologian Amy O. Ewing says that because of Jesus, humans do not need to construct a pathway to God, but rather God has made the path himself. Jesus claims to be God in human form, a divine initiative to reconcile a broken world to God. Jesus' resurrection means that death has been defeated, and this offers eternal hope to all who trust in him. Life can be really hard. Christmas can be really hard, full of fear, complications, mess, stress, and it can be painfully lonely. And so these promises of Christmas are a steadfast anchor to a weary soul. So in a world that often fails to keep its promises, we can find peace and joy in the unwavering faithfulness of God, because God keeps his promises. Maybe there's something in what you've just heard which you hadn't thought about before, or something which you heard which uh, you would question or you would challenge, or something that you've heard which you disagree with, 
and you want to talk about it some more. Well, in a world where we're told to only speak to uh, people who think like we do, I want to invite you to stay curious. And let's just watch this video. So starting on Thursday, the 1st of February at 8 o'clock in the St. Mungo's Ministry Center, that's the, the middle office block opposite the chip shop, uh, we're going to be running Alpha. It's a safe space to ask questions, to explore, to challenge. And it's open to everyone, no matter what your story. It's a place for those with questions, a place where we can be curious together and ask the big questions of life in a safe and non-judgmental environment. Our time together this evening is almost finished, uh, but we have time for what I consider to be one of the greatest songs ever written, a Christmas carol of epic proportions. So please stand if you're able as we sing our final carol tonight, Hark the Herald, Angels Sing.